This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. Our mission is to spread awareness of the message and divine beauty of the Quran across the world. Support our mission at www.bayina.org. That's B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem. وقالوا لن يدخل الجنة إلا من كان هودا أو نصارى تلك أمانيهم قل هاتوا برهانكم إن كنتم صادقين بلى من أسلم وجهه لله وهو محسن فله أجره عند ربه ولا خوف عليهم ولا هم يحزنون رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي فالحمد لله والصلاه والسلام على رسول الله وعلى اله وصحبه اجمعين ثم اما بعد السلام عليكم ورحمه الله وبركاته so the passage that we've now entered this is this is the next passage after the discussion of nasq which was one coherent discussion uh, how one revelation is now uh, basically has been retired the revelation of the torah has been retired and the revelation of injil has been retired in the sense that the final revelation has now come and has taken their place. The next conversation is actually about attitudes of the Jewish community, uh, and in addition, some elements of the Christian community. And so even though the, the dominant conversation remains about the Jews, Allah will now introduce the Christians also in this conversation. Some elements of them have the same attitudes as the Jewish community that's so far been criticized in Medina of, uh, you know, throughout this surah. So Allah begins this by saying, وَقَالُوا لَنْ يَدْخُلَ الْجَنَّةَ إِلَّا مَنْ كَانَ هُدًا أَوْ نصارى. They said, nobody will enter Jannah. لَنْ يَدْخُلَ الْجَنَّةَ This is actually, uh, this illah here is called الْإِسْتِثْنَاءَ الْمُفَرَّغَ الْإِسْتِثْنَاءَ الْمُفَرَّغَ Suggesting, no one out there at all. There's no exception whatsoever. يعني لم يقول لن يدخل الجنة أحد إلا من كان هودا أو نصارى. There's no subject mentioned of the verb, which what that means in simple English is there's no possibility of anybody going into heaven except uh, if whoever that person may be had been Jewish or Christian. هودا أو نصارى. Hud actually is the plural of ha'id, like عود and عائد, uh, which is another common term for uh, someone who practices Judaism. Like Yahudi is more common. And ha'id was also used. It comes from the verb hada. Hada means to go back to some to Allah spiritually. Like raja'a in Arabic is to go back. And you know, um, similarly hada is to go back, meaning your heart turns back to Allah. So those who've you know, turned back to God in, in Judaism in a sense, or Nasara. Of course the word uh, hud also refers to, or Yehuda also refers to the kingdom of Judea, which is an ethnic term also. So it's a verb and it's a noun. It goes back to both of those things. The word Nasara comes from Nasrani, uh, and Nasrani uh, can, you know, from the Arabic sense, it means it comes from Nusra, which means aid. And Quran makes reference to the fact that the, you know, the, the Hawariyun of Isa, the, what the Bible calls the disciples of Jesus, they aided him, right? And the word Nasr means aid. So the aids, meaning the original aids of Jesus, right? But the other interesting thing about the word Nusra or Nasr is that it comes from the, you may have heard Jesus of Nazareth, right? Nasran actually. So Nasrani are the, the, the Nazareth people. In other words, they follow Jesus of Nazareth. And from that name, from that place, that name kind of became common. And that's where the word Nasrani comes from. So you, you find in the Quran, that's the, the common term used for uh, the Christians. But it's interesting that Allah Azza wa Jal, when He calls them that, uh, the Nasara, 
then he's actually making them think about their history. He's making them think about their the, the Nazareth origins of the religion, right? And again, I, I'm avoiding side notes, but just a small comment here. You know, um, when, you, when you speak to Christians and you talk to them about Islam, then the easiest thing to do is say that we are the closest thing to early Christianity. The closest thing is, if you want to understand Islam, if you just understand the first 40, 50, 60 years of Christianity's origins, right around the, you know, what they consider the death of Jesus, right, or the, the resurrection of Jesus, from then on those 50, 60 years, and the early writings, then you'll find, then Islam will make sense to you. And basically everything that happens before Paul. You know, and when, and when Pauline doctrine and Pauline literature makes its way into Christianity in the Christian world, even the Christians of that time are in shock. What is this? Like, where did this come from? You know? So, a lot of the writings of, uh, early writings of Matthew and others, of, you know, the early era, you'll find very similar to like the stories of Sahaba. It's gonna be not much different at all. Okay, so, إِلَّا مَنْ كَانَ هُودًا أَوْ نَصَارَ So they say, they make the claim, nobody's going into heaven except Jews or Christians, basically. تِلْكَ أَمَانِيُّهُمْ Allah says, those are their wishful thoughts. قُلْ هَاتُوا بُرْهَانَكُمْ Amani comes from the word umnia, And umnia means to have a hope that doesn't have any reason associated with it. A blind hope. You know? تِلْكَ أَمَانِيُّهُمْ Those are their wishful thoughts. قُلْ هَاتُوا بُرْهَانَكُمْ إِن كُنْتُمْ صَادِقِينَ Tell them, هَاتُوا هَاتُوا is a mubalagh form of atu. I'll get into the language in a little bit. But uh, Imam Alusi says, no, it's an original word of Arabic. It has nothing to do with atu. Now, atu means bring. Atuni, bring me. Hatu means, hey, bring. Like it's it's tougher language, and it's stronger language when you add that ha. But he says actually it's an original verb, it's not conjugated. I did actually found in some masad, there's some uh, lexicons of Arabic, they even have the verb hata yuhati, you know, uh, we gave you the way you gave us. Hataynakum kama kunna nuhati. You know, hataytumuna kama kunna nuhati lakum. You gave us the way we used to give you. So they, they use the verb in that sense, but it's very, very rare. The more common usage of hatu is to say, say something in a kind of aggressive tone. Like you talk down to someone and you say hatu. So Allah is saying very aggressively, hatu burhanakum, bring forward your evidences. And then there's the next word burhan, which I'll, I'm just translating as evidence right now because I'm walking you through the translation. Then we'll get into the, some, some of the scholarly discussion under this ayah. Okay? So bring forward your evidences, meaning Allah is challenging them. If you're gonna say that nobody except Jews and Christians is going into heaven, then challenge them openly, be aggressive and say, Bring forward your evidences, these, this proof of this exclusivity that you have in kuntum sadiqeen, if in fact you're telling the truth. The kana here is not about the past tense. Kana is also, you know, you can say it's, an, it's a fi'il tam also, it's a complete verb also. If in fact you're truthful, kana can be used as a, a verb for affirmation or for, for you know, uh, emphasis in the Arabic language also. So that's why I'm translating here as, not like in antum sadiqeen, in kuntum sadiqeen as, not if you've been truthful, if in fact you're truthful. If it happens to be the case that you're truthful, then go ahead, let's see your evidences. Now, Imam At-Tabari rahimahullah, commenting on this ayah says, لَن يَدْخُلَ الْجَنَّةِ إِلَّا مَنْ كَانَ يَعْنِي قَالُوا قَالَتِ الْيَهُودِ لَن يَدْخُلَ الْجَنَّةِ إِلَّا مَنْ كَانَ يَهُودِيًّا وَقَالَتِ النَّصَارَ لَن يَدْخُلَ الْجَنَّةِ إِلَّا مَنْ كَانَ نَصْرَانِيًّا So our scholars actually broke this up and said, actually, what Allah is saying here, because the statement, think about it in English, nobody will go into heaven except Jew or Christian. That's the statement, right? Imam Tabari says, actually, this is Allah's way of summarizing a more elaborate statement, which is, Jews say nobody but Jews are gonna go to heaven, and Christians say nobody but Christians are gonna go to heaven, meaning each of them are talking about their own going into heaven. 
But what the ayah makes it seem like is that they're saying, hey, you could be either one of these two acceptable parties, you're good. Right? If they, they collectively speak about Judaism and Christianity and say, none other than Jew and Christian is going to make it. Everybody else is going to go uh, into hellfire. So this kind of became a, an interesting debate, an academic debate in our tafasir. Are they speaking in unison? Are they joining hands and saying, Jew or Christian is good, Muslim bad? Or are they speaking, is Allah combining them and saying, you know, Jews are saying that Jews are going to make it into heaven, Christians are saying Christians are going to make it heaven, into heaven, and nobody else. It seems from the text itself, from the, the way that the text is organized, the way that Allah expresses this idea, that they are in unison. So it took an elaborate explanation to say Jews are talking about themselves and Christians are talking about themselves. But that creates a complexity. And that complexity is that you have, obviously, Jews and Christians don't get along theologically. I mean, they kind of did, according to the Christians, they kind of did kill Jesus. You know, what bigger crime than that can there be? You know? So there is this, this, this theological and ideological tension that's always been there, right? Um, so how do you reconcile this? You reconcile this very easily. This is actually along the lines of other statements, other places in the Qur'an, where they're okay with you with anything other than Islam. Like they were, they, if you were, if you just stayed mushrik, it would have been fine. You would have been totally cool. If you just had some other religion, it would have been to- completely fine. And as a matter of fact, when they say nobody but Jew and Christian will enter into heaven, the Jews aren't even interested in you converting. They're not a religion that goes around preaches except Judaism. So they're not saying, well, if you want to come to heaven, come join us. They're just saying you're not going. <laughs> You're not, that's that's what what the statement being made is. You're not going. That's all. I'd like to let you know. You know. And so when it comes to you know the idea, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. They're even compromising some of the core beliefs that they themselves carry, because the Jews have some very horrible beliefs about Isa alayhi I can't even mention them. I can't even say what they say. You know. And on the other hand, the Christians have very strong views against the Jewish community. They do. But then when it comes to their animosity against the Muslims. And against the the problem that the Prophet has created, sallallahu in Medina, it's okay. I'll take this. I'll rather this than this problem. Let's just you know take a united religious stance against this bunch of people. So now, hatu bi ma'na ahdiru. Hatu actually means bring forward, present it. Wal hatu asliyatun la badla min alhamza min hamzati atu walalitanbi wahiya fi'lu amr khilafan liman zama. أنها اسم فعل أو صوت بمنزلتها. This is Imam Malusi saying something about. This is these are grammatical nuances, but I love talking about them because uh, it, it lets you geek out about Arabic grammar. What he's saying is anybody who says that hatu is not is it's coming from atu doesn't know what they're talking about. Hatu is a word by itself. Don't 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 you be telling me that the ha is an extra add-on and this and that. Like they had, sometimes when they would discuss, and I, the reason I brought this up now is sometimes our ulama when they would discuss words of the Quran. They would turn into heated debates about where the word came from. Even if the word is something so simple, they just get so passionate about it. And that actually tells you how seriously they took this stuff. Like they didn't take any of it lightly, you know? Um, now, tilka amaniyuhum, that phrase. So the first was Allah said, you know, uh, before he even said, bring your evidences forward, he said, why don't you, uh, these are their wishful thoughts. That's how I translated it, tilka amaniyuhum. And I told you the word amani comes from umniya. Zamakhshari says, actually, there's a jump here. Allah didn't mention a bunch of wishful thoughts. Allah just mentioned one wishful thought. 
that one wishful thought was nobody's going into heaven except Jew or Christian. It's one idea. But Allah, instead of saying, and that is their wishful assumption, that is one incorrect idea. Instead Allah says, tilka amaniyuhum. Those are their wishful thoughts. He made it into a plural. So he does this taqdeer of it, this, this implication of the text saying, tilka al-umniya amaniyuhum. In other words, this wish of theirs, this idea of theirs, gives birth to a whole bunch of weird concepts. That's why Allah used the plural here. Like sometimes you have one bad like notion, one bad belief, and as a result of it, it creates a whole like entire plethora of confusions, you know. And that's what's happened here. You know, their 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 claim to exclusivity, their claim to going into heaven, all of it, and 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 as a result, their view of sin, their view of accountability, their view of responsibility, their view of whether they should even consider another religion, or consider you know you know looking at their book again. You don't have to even look at your book. You didn't even say Ahl al-Kitab. Nobody will go into heaven except the people of the book. Because if they said people of the book, at least they'd be holding on to their book. They said, if you're Jew or Christian, if you happen to be these labels, you're, you're already set. You're already saved. And that creates an entire slew of problems. We need to understand what that means for Muslims also. Sometimes Muslims develop the idea that you're fine so long as you're what? At least you're Muslim. You're good. This is exactly their amani. And when you develop this idea that you're okay, look, yeah, fine, I mess up, uh, yeah, I do all kinds of quote-unquote haram stuff, yes, but at least I believe in Allah. At least I believe in the Prophet ﷺ. At least I'm Muslim. You know, so that should be good. That should count for something. Isn't this exactly what they're saying? That's exactly, that's exactly what Allah is criticizing about them. And what does he say to them that you think just having a label is enough to save you? And by the way, the labels they used are not bad labels. The label Nasara, nor the label Hud, if you look at them from a linguistic point of view, they're actually noble words. Hada means the one who goes back to Allah. Nasara from Nazareth, the early followers of Christianity, or the AIDS, these are good words. Allah is even highlighting goodness in their religions in these words. And Allah is saying, but just because you have this label, you think you're saved? This is this is uh, nothing but wishful thinking. La يَعْلَمُونَ الْكِتَابَ illa amani. We already read. They actually don't know the book. Instead, they just have wishful thoughts. So there's a comparison made in the Quran. The difference between people of God, people of Islam, people of faith, that either know the book, or have these assumptions. Because you can't have both. What does the book do? It shatters those assumptions. It gives you reality check. It doesn't let you live in some kind of delusional sense of security. That's what the purpose of the book is. This is why tilka amaniyuhum. Now this is this part is a little bit PG thirteen, but I'll I'll try to keep it as you know kosher as possible. <laughs> Pun intended. Um, burhan. The word burhan is uh, one of the words in Arabic for evidence. Okay, so the, the Quran uses hujja, bayina, dalil, sultan, burhan. These are all when when these words come up in Quran, they all mean evidence. Okay, but then of these, what does burhan come from? Baraha actually in Arabic, it, it originates from uh, the word actually to describe a stunning, beautiful woman. That's where it actually comes from. I didn't make this up. I swear. Um, and this is Islamic studies. Um, so. What happens is they they used to say barah raha. Please don't memorize that word. Like guys will mem- like know 
no Arabic word but this one because <laughs> but I'm only sharing it for vocabulary reasons. Barahraha alati laha bariq min safaiha wa qala ghayruhu hiya raqiqatul jild ka anna alma yajri fiha min al-na'ma. A beautiful, stunning woman. They are very graphic in their description. I ain't translating. I'm just saying somebody who like young woman who walks by and they can't take their eyes off of her. That's called, that woman is called a barahraha. Okay, sharp, stunning, sticks out, etc., etc. That's the that's the description that's been given. Again, they're they're far more graphic than I'm being in my translation. Anyway, the idea is bring an evidence. That's and from that comes the word burhan. The word burhan actually means an evidence that just pops out like, whoa, yeah, you're right. Like that can't be confused with anything else. And once you give that evidence, the compelling argument is made. People are drawn to the argument you've made. Just like they're drawn to the beauty of a young woman or something like that. Just like young men are drawn to the beauty of a young woman, they're drawn to the argument that's made. That's the origin of the word. Baraha also comes from the Arabic verb to cut. Uh, and some argue that actually it has a Farsi origin, Burhan. Burhan come from, comes from Burhan in Farsi. And Farsi actually means a very a razor sharp sword. Bring an evidence that cuts down everybody else's arguments. It slices away at everything else. Why don't you bring this, this, you know, powerful argument around, uh, uh, along? That's what Allah's claim is to them when He says, قُلْ burhanakum in kuntum sadiqeen. Now what I'd like to do is kind of take a step back and think about what's, what's just been said within this framework. Like what are the implications of Allah saying, when they said nobody will go into heaven except Jew or Christian, Allah says, these are just their wishful thoughts. By saying amani, what Allah is warning us about is, you better never become people of amani, number one. Number two, you better not become people ever that feel secure because you belong to the religion. You can't have that. You must only find security in what? Burhan. You must only find security in powerful, compelling evidence. And by using the word Burhan, Allah is saying that you and I can never be satisfied with weak evidence. When you're studying your religion, when you're learning this deen, and somebody says, here's a conclusion about Islam. Here's some, here's, some conclu- here's some interpretation of an ayah or a hadith or something. And the evidence presented is flimsy. The evidence to make you accept that conclusion is not very convincing. Then that evidence cannot be called what? It can't be called burhan. And Allah says you should stand on burhan. You're challenging others, they should bring their burhan forward, their undeniable razor sharp evidence forward, their compelling reasons forward. Then unless you have compelling reasons, you can't follow it. So as a student of the deen, your, your loyalty becomes, you know, on the one hand, your respect is for scholars, but your loyalty is to evidence. As a student of religion. See, for common people, it's something else. For common people, you know, somebody works full time, they don't have time to study Arabic or usul or sharia or fiqh or tafsir, or they don't have time for any of that. They'll have to, at the end of the day, place some trust in their leadership. They just have to. If the, if the imam they trust, the teacher they trust is telling them something, they're gonna have to take their word for it to an extent. Then there are some things that do, just don't meet your conscience. Like you heard something from your religious leadership, and you're like, it's not making sense to me. And at that point, you don't say, no, 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 they know better, we should just be quiet. No, you're supposed to ask questions and inquire. Right? The entire ummah of the Prophet ﷺ is actually supposed to be, some, some slowly and some, you know, faster, they're supposed to be on a, on a constant rise. In other words, you, sh- you should be learning, if you can learn only a little bit, learn a little bit. If you can learn a lot, learn a lot. But everybody should be learning to some extent. I'm not one to say that everybody should be learning this book, then this book, then this book, then this book, then this book. I don't say that because people have different lives. People have different obligations. 
I learned that more, more from our mother Aisha anha than anybody else. When she, she's one of the most amazing things she said in Hadithat al-Ifq was, لا أقرأوا كثيرا من القرآن. Like, three-fourths of the Qur'an had already been revealed, and she said, I didn't know much Qur'an back then. Aisha anha, after 75% of the Qur'an's already been revealed, comments that back then, I didn't know a lot of Qur'an. And I'm sitting there going, you're Aisha. Photographic memory, Aisha. Like, the great scholar and pillar of Islam, Aisha. Without whom we would have no insight into the Prophet's personal life, Aisha And she says, I didn't know much Qur'an. Why? Because she had other priorities. She had other responsibilities. There are other people that were memorizing Qur'an, doing, doing other things. She was doing other things. She was carrying other, other aspects of the religion. You know. So I don't say there's a standard education for everybody. There wasn't even a standard education for the Sahaba. It wasn't like that. Everybody learned the same exact thing or the same exact way. It wasn't the case. But regardless, should the ummah constantly be on overall and on a rise? Meaning they should be learning everybody at their pace, but learning more and more and more. And is it our responsibility as teachers, as da'is, as institutions, to try to find out where are people and how do we get them a little higher than they are? Like let's just let's just figure out where they are and let's make their path to getting a little more knowledgeable, a little more understanding of their religion, easy for them. Right? Not everybody has to turn into a scholar, but certainly everybody in some capacity should be a student. In some capacity, right? You know what that does? It one on the one hand it gives you respect for your teachers, but it gives you true loyalty to knowledge. So when you do hear something and it doesn't make sense to you, you don't find it disrespectful that you're asking, hey, that didn't make sense to me. I'd like that explained again. Or I don't see how that evidence makes sense. Where can I do more reading? You know, you can do your inquiry, and you should, because we're people of Burhan. If Allah is asking us to challenge other people with Burhan, and we don't have it ourselves, it doesn't make any sense. قُلْ هَاتُوا بُرْحَانَكُمْ إِن كُنْتُمْ صَادِقِينَ So now, and by the way, by Allah saying this, and adding that insulting, إِن كُنْتُمْ صَادِقِينَ If in fact you're telling the truth, what is Allah actually saying? You're not telling the truth. You're just, you just made that stuff up. You just threw that out in the air just to be offensive. You're just saying this not because you're intellectually convinced or you did some exhaustive research and reading and you've arrived at this conclusion. You just don't like Muslims and that's why you said it. Like that's the only reason. So Allah is now taking their emotional argument and giving it a rational criticism. And basically saying, if you cannot produce a rational argument in response, there's nothing to talk about. You can, you can blow hot air all you want. That's another important consideration here. A lot of criticisms of Islam are just hot air. Just people like expressing their anger and outrage against Islam with a very, very loud voice. And when you try to speak to them on the basis of evidence, proof, reason, logic, they get upset and their voices get louder. The more you have to raise your voice and yell and scream, that's a big indication that you don't actually have evidence to speak about. You don't have anything logical to say. That's the, that's the best way to know these people worth, are, are worth just ignoring. But So the, the question here is, is their problem logical? Is the, do they have actually a rational problem? Or do they have an emotional problem? Do they have a pride problem? It's pretty clear in, the, in these ayat, stubbornness and pride, and that's the real reason. It's not that they're not convinced. Because Allah already took that out by saying, هَاتُوا بُرْحَانَكُمْ in kuntum sadiqin, and that's when the next ayah makes total sense. Bala manaslama wajhahu lillah. No, on the contrary, whoever were to submit his face before Allah, to submit your face before Allah, what do you think that means? Sajda. Isn't it? Drop your face before God means, or submit your face to Allah means, sajda, the image of someone falling into sajda. 
That's particularly important because the Jewish community, for one, had abandoned sajda. They don't do sajda. When was the last time you saw even Christians regularly do sajda? So, it's a, and, and what does sajda represent? It represents your pride on the ground. It represents the, you know, the part of you that gives you your dignity, your face. You know, be humbled before Allah. Allah is saying, no, on the contrary, whoever would, technically, I'll, I'll, I'll paraphrase here, whoever would actually be humble before Allah, you know, as if Allah is saying, your problem isn't evidence, your problem is a lack of humility. And that's how Allah like gets to the heart of the problem. Only Allah can. Like Allah can hear somebody say a criticism, and also know what's going on inside their heart. A complete diagnosis. I can only judge what's what I hear, the outside. Allah hears the outside, He knows the inside, and when He responds, He responds knowing full well what this person needs to hear. So He answers from what they didn't even say, but what was going on inside their heart. No, on the contrary, whoever were to submit his face before Allah, مَنْ أَسْلَمَ وَجْهَهُ لِلَّهِ وَهُوَ مُحْسِنٌ And he, and after having submitted his face before Allah, he excels. He does his very best. This is a call to the people that represented the deen of, you know, the, the, the leaders of the Christian community, the leaders of the Jewish community. People look up to you. You're role models. Not only should you be number one in humbling yourself before Allah, then you should be excelling in it because everybody else will take after you. You, you can't just be at Islam because that's already covered in Aslama wajahu illah. You need to be at the level of Ihsan because there are eyes on you. You're role models. People come to you and ask about Allah. You know? So, wahua muhsinun here, there are two things. It could be looked at as jumla haliya, which means that somebody who came and submitted themselves before Allah while they recognized nobody, nobody's presence except Allah. I use the word while. Meaning the way they accepted Islam was out of humility. That's haliya. This can also be isti'naf. Isti'naf means that they submitted themselves before Allah, they accept Islam, they come to Allah in humility, but then later on they also keep growing, growing in that humility. And they continue to be this way now. Like it's not, at the time that they became Muslim, they were very humble, then later on the virus came back. That they, they actually maintained their ihsan. That, that would be the implication of isti'naf. فَلَهُ أَجْرُهُ عِنْدَ رَبِّهِ And if somebody can do that, then this person, whoever this may be, is going to have their compensation with their master. It's amazing. Look at the switches Allah does. They said, لَنْ يَدْخُلَ الْجَنَّةِ إِلَّا مَنْ كَانَ هُدَنَّ وَنَصَرَى They use the plurals. Jews and Christians are the only ones going into heaven. And the conversation was not Allah will reward or not reward. Their conversation was heaven. Allah's response doesn't mention heaven. Allah doesn't say, oh, by the way, whoever submits themselves to Allah and has ihsan will go to Jannah. Speaking of Jannah. He changed the subject from Jannah altogether. He's like, why are you worried about heaven? You should be far more worried about the road to heaven than heaven itself. You're concerned about Jannah. You're not concerned about the road that gets there. And what's the road that gets there? Your submission, your ihsan will get you ajr. فَلَهُ أَجْرُهُ عِنْدَ رَبِّهِ He will have, this person will have their compensation with their master. Ajr is actually ala amal. إِذَا عَمِلْتَ You know, فَأُجِرْتَ If you did work, then you're gonna be compensated. Ajr is not like freebies or you know, mercies or gifts. That's a hiba. Hiba is a gift, you know. There's i'ta, it's a grant. But ajr is a compensation, it's a salary. You did work. Allah is highlighting here, I need to see work from you. We'll talk about Jannah. That's later. Where's your work? What have you done to earn anything? 
which some, some might hear this and say, wait a second. We know in Islam, nobody goes into Jannah because of their deeds. Isn't that true? My deeds and your deeds, no matter how good they are, are good enough or no? They're not. In Islam, they are not good enough. At the end of the day, it'll have to be the forgiveness and the mercy of Allah that gets us into Jannah. Right? Everybody's clear about that. So my deeds are not the reason I go to heaven. If anybody argues that with you, they're incorrect. But then, why is Allah highlighting deeds and compensation? He's highlighting them because nobody will earn Allah's forgiveness or Allah's mercy unless they showed some effort. If they didn't show any effort, your efforts are not enough. They're not enough. You need that bonus from Allah. But Allah won't give a bonus to those who didn't even try. What effort have you made? What have you tried to earn that Allah should consider you worthy of that additional bonus? Worthy of that additional favor? And what is that additional favor? Forget about Jannah. You people are talking about Jannah. The way Allah phrases is it, لا خوف عليهم ولا خوف عليهم ولا هم يحزنون. And there's no fear on them, nor will they be the ones that grieve. I explained the, the literary aspects of this, this phrase before. I want to highlight the context of it here now. When you say there's no fear and no grief, are you thinking about Jannah? The words fear and grief? What do they bring up? What thought do they bring up? Heaven or hell? Hell. Hell. Allah is telling these people, you are so delusional thinking that you're entering into Jannah, you're not even thinking about what? Jahannam. You removed that from the equation, you removed Yawm Al-Qiyamah from the equation, the only Akhirah you can ever bring up is Jannah? This is why you have no sense of responsibility, this is why you don't submit yourselves. You've become complacent. You need to understand, first try to earn something before Allah, then understand the first gift Allah will give you is, when you are resurrected, there's not going to be any fear on you. You're not going to be in any real danger. And you're not going to look back and regret at your previous doings. وَلَهُمْ يَحْسَنُونَ And they're not, they're not going to be the ones that grieve. The other beautiful thing about this ayah, is that they spoke in the collective. They said, لَنْ يَدْخُلَ الْجَنَّةِ إِلَّا مَنْ كَانَ هُودًا أَوْ نَصَارًا Those are plural verbs. هُودًا نَصَارًا and the response was also, تِلْكَ أَمَانِيُّهُمْ قَالُوا Everything was plural. But in this response, Allah says, مَنْ أَسْلَمَ وَجْهَهُ لِلَّهِ وَهُوَ مُحْسِنٌ فَلَهُ أَجْرُهُ عِنْدَ رَبِّهِ Singular, singular, singular. There's a switch from the plural to the singular. And that switch, this iltifat, suggests something. You're gonna have to come to Islam all on your own. This is reinforcement from the previous. People follow a certain group, a certain religion, and they think, well, we're gonna go with our entire community. How can I go away from all of my people? You're going to have to make your own decision and come before Allah and submit yourselves enti- entirely to Allah alone. And you might have to become socially isolated to do that. But then if you're not in this, this community, human beings have a need to be in a community. So look at the beauty of the end of this ayah. وَلَا خَوْفٌ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَا هُمْ يَحْزَنُونَ You'll find a community alright, and you'll find a community that will not only help you in this dunya, they'll be communing with you in the akhirah also. They'll be with you in the Akhirah. As opposed to this community you're with right now, when you meet them on Judgment Day, they will want nothing to do with you. You'll be, you'll be left alone that day. So the Day of Judgment, where we think of everyone being alone, is the day in which Allah put them in the collective. Like He put them in a community, subhanAllah. That's the gift that Allah gives in this beautiful, beautiful ayah. Some comments about this ayah that I, I'd like to share with you. Al-wajhu, إِمَّا مُسْتَعَارٌ لِلذَّاتِ وَتَخْصِيصُهُ بِالذِّكْرِ لِأَنَّهُ أَشْرَفُ الْأَعْضَاءِ وَمَعْدَنُ الْحَوَاسِ وَإِمَّا مَجَازَ عَنِ الْقَصْدِ بِأَنَّ الْقَاصِدِ لِلشَّيْءِ مُوَاجِهٌ لَهُ This is Imam Al-Alusi saying the word, you know, whoever submitted their face to Allah, why did Allah use the word face? There are two possibilities. Either he's literally saying face, meaning sajda, because the face is the most dignified of the, 
of the, of all body parts and this is actually where we make sense of the rest of our life is you know because of what's going on in the head so it's 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 given nobility in the in that sense or allah is mentioning this uh, figuratively and what that means is allah is saying whoever submits their pride before allah whoever lets go of their pride and that and in that way allah is making two comments to the jews and christians your books have sajda and you don't do it and your books teach you humility and you don't have it you need to have those two things again and those two things go hand in hand what's the most humble thing you can do sajda right and losing it made you lose something that you so very badly needed you needed that humility wa islamul wajh lillah wa taslimul dhat li awamir Allah ta'ala ay shiddatul imtithal li an li anna aslama bi ma'na alqa as-silah wa tarka al-muqawama that's the first part another comment from imam al-alusi he says when you do islam of your face meaning submitting your face when you do that it actually means that you've submitted yourself practically submission isn't just an act of the heart submission is an act physically so it's an it's a very comprehensive phrase suggesting you are now going to abide by the law of allah when you've submitted your face you're abiding by the law of allah and this is shiddatul imtithal which suggests you're going to live by it as best you possibly can and that's he argues that and that is because the word aslama the verb originally before islam you know what it meant it meant to throw down your weapons like the enemy has you surrounded you had your sword in your hand and they've got you completely covered and you surrender and you just drop your weapons that's actually what islam meant tarku silah wa tarkul muqawama i no longer resist i've surrendered that's literally the image of someone surrendering before allah ya allah i'm no longer holding the weapon of pride the the weapon of greed the weapon of ego you know the weapon of selfishness i'm letting them go i give up and you just fall on your face before allah subhanallah wa yajuz an yakuna aslama bi ma'na akhlasa mushtaqan min as-salama ay ja'alahu saliman or it could also mean that it comes from peace. The one who who's, uh, not, not just surrenders, but is at peace and brings themselves to be at peace with Allah. They no longer want to fight with Allah. They just want to be at peace with Allah Azza wa Then hal and istinaf I suggested, I talked to you about, so we'll, we'll move on. So now, notice in the two ayat that we've done so far, I'll do two more, then give you a break inshallah. We'll go little by little today. Um, maybe one more ayah, actually it's a long ayah. Uh, so what's happening is in the first ayah, Allah mentions some crazy thing they say. And in the next ayah, Allah will correct it. In this next ayah, He'll mention another crazy thing they say. And guess what's going to happen after that? He's going to correct it again. So their misconceptions, then Allah's correction. Then misconceptions, then correction. That seems to be the recurring structure of what's going on in these arguments. وَقَالَتِ الْيَهُودُ لَيْسَتِ النَّصَارَ عَلَى شَيْءٍ The Jews said, Christians have, now I'll translate a clunky English translation first. Jews said, the Christians are upon nothing. They are not upon anything. I find that clunky because the word upon, nobody who speaks normal English uses the word upon in that way. We Muslims do, because Muslims, we've developed weird English among each other, especially those who read a lot of like clunky translations. Hey bro, are you upon the sunnah? Like, no, I'm... Upon the sunnah? What does that mean? Are you committed to the sunnah? Are you like, the, nobody uses the word on or upon that way. So we just become weird when we use English that way. Okay, so I'm going to tell you what this means in normal English. Jews said, Christians have no basis. They stand on nothing. They stand on nothing suggests they have no basis. They have no proper foundation on which they, they hold their views. They have no claims to truth. The Jews make a very sharp, scathing criticism of who? The Christians. 
وقالت النصارى ليست اليهود على شيء Jews and then the, the Christians turn around and say the Jews have no basis they have no foundation without Jesus they have nothing وهم يتلون الكتاب and one translation of this is while they're all reading the same exact book the irony is the Old Testament and the New at least the Old is in common to both faiths they're reading the same exact text and yet one is saying you have no basis the other is saying you have no basis now before we talk about the, the, the deeper implications of this ayah let's take a step back and see because every time we read something about them we should read something about ourselves and that's as a principle you know نزلت فيهم لنا like the Sahaba said it talked about them it was a warning for us Allah is not just telling us this so we can say, ah, look at those crazy Jews and Christians, look at what they do. No, He's telling us this because it's, an, it's a tendency we have. These are diseases we can fall into. Is it possible that Muslims are going to read the same exact book and then turn to groups among themselves while sharing the book and say, these people, they're crazy, they're going to hell. No, no, those people, they're crazy, they're going to, and they just, that's all they do. Their sermons, their discourse, their, relig- their, their, their religious teachings are all about dismantling and ripping to shreds each other while they're reciting the same exact book. As a matter of fact, the only reason they recite the book and the only reason they study the book is to compile evidences against the other one. Hey, you know what? I found an ayah that totally refutes these guys. And they found an ayah and a hadith that refutes those guys. And that's all it becomes. When the, the study of the religion is actually a study to defend your school, your, your group, and the study of attacking the other group. This is what the sacred is used for. And that's what Allah is commenting on. They, read, they, recite, they recite the sacred word, they follow line by line, word by word, the sacred word of Allah, the sacred book, and yet this is what they do. وَهُمْ يَتْلُونَ الْكِتَابِ The other, and I'll, I'll read some commentary before I inshallah uh, offer some additional analysis because I think it's very important here. Some said that this ayah came um, as a result of an incident in the life of the Prophet wasallam. There was actually an argument. وَقَالُوا هَذَا بِالصَّرَاحَةِ حِينَ جَاءَ وَفْدُ نَجْرَانِ إِلَى رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم. This ayah came when, according to some, when the uh, emissaries and the representatives from Najran, which were Christian people, they came to meet the Prophet ﷺ. So a bunch of Christ- knowledgeable Christians came to meet the Prophet ﷺ. وَفِيهِمْ أَعْيَانُ دِينِهِمْ مِنَ النَّصَارَى and there were some very high level people of their religion, of the Christians, that came to meet with the Prophet. آتوهم وهم عند النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم فناظروهم في الدين وجادلوهم حتى تسابوا then finally when there when a representative of the Jews also came and met with them so they knew that the Christians are meeting with the Prophet and the Jews also found out so they wanted to meet with them too they actually the Jews and the Christians started having an argument ناظروهم في الدين they started having kind of a religious debate about you know وجادلوهم and they started having all kinds of back and forth about evidences and Jesus and this and that حتى تسابوا until they started cursing each other out that's what they started doing فكفر اليهود بعيسى والإنجيل وبالإنجيل وقالوا للنصارى ما أنتم على شيء so the Jews got very offended and said we disbelieve in Jesus we have nothing to do with the Injil the, you know, the gospel that was given to Jesus وقالوا للنصارى and they said to the Christians you people have no basis فَكَفَرَ وَفْدُ نَجْرَانِ بِمُوسَى And the, the representative of Najran, the emissary that had come, got upset with the Jews and said, I disbelieve in Musa and Torah. You know, and then وَقَالُوا لِلْيَهُودِ لَسْتُمْ عَلَى شَيْءٍ And they said to the Jews, you have no basis. But we know for a fact, Christians do believe in Moses. So what is this? What he, when he says, كَفَرَ بِمُوسَى He's saying the law of Moses doesn't apply. Jesus has come and you know, cleansed, you of, cleansed humanity of 
their sins, they no longer need to abide by the law. You need to know some things about that. In the Christian worldview, there are lots of denominations of Christianity, but a general overview is that Jesus was sacrificed by God Himself, His only Son. He sacrificed His Son so that humanity could earn forgiveness, so they could be purified by the blood of Jesus. Now, before Jesus, humanity still wanted to be purified. How did they used to get purified? They used to get purified by obeying the law. So when you obey the law of Moses, then you will become pure. But now instead of the law, you have the blood of Jesus purifying you. So you no longer need what? The law. The law of kosher, the law of the prayers, the law of clothing. The, all the laws of the Torah no longer needed because what's already there that's giving you purification? The, the, you know, the sacrifice of Jesus. Right? So that's why they said, we don't need Musa anymore. That's already... It's irrelevant now because Jesus already came. And that's the debate that they had among each other. And that's what Allah is commenting on when He says, you know, uh, the Jews said the Christians have no basis, the Christians said the Jews have no basis while they read the book. Though that narration is there, it's not the strongest account that that's actually the reason or the only reason that this ayah has been revealed. It's part of a larger conversation in the surah. So that, though that's important to mention, reducing this ayah to that I think is a mistake. And it may apply to that, but it applies to a lot more. What is, what is being said here first and foremost is actually far worse against the Jews. We, notice how it began. The, Christ, the Jews say Christians have no basis. Another reading of the ayah is, وَقَالَتِ النَّصَارَى لَيْسَتِ الْيَهُودُ عَلَى شَيْءٍ وَهُمْ يَتْلُونَ الْكِتَابِ Which means the quote is longer. The Christians come back to the Jews and say, the Jews have no basis even though they read the book. They don't have any basis even though they are more knowledgeable in the book. And they read, they recite, and they follow the book. In other words, yeah, yeah, Jews are far more knowledgeable of the Old Testament. They're scholars, they read the book, they're very learned. But they have nothing to do with the book. Look at how they live, look at what they've done. And this is actually a very Christian criticism of Judaism, isn't it? Because Jesus himself criticized the Jewish rabbis. As has come in this series before, you people read the book but you live nothing by it. So this Bahum Yatlun al-Kitab is actually going back to how the, the, the Jews come back, because the Christians were much less scholarly, right? Uh, so they made a criticism of them, but the Christians came back with a much tougher criticism against the Jews. Yeah, you read the book, but what do you live by? You know, you have no basis even though you recite the book. You know, and that, through that, what does that imply for Muslims? What does that mean for you and me? That you have, Wallahu ta'ala alam, and this is my own analysis, you don't have to agree with it, but the Jews and the Christians are actually not just two religions. They are two types of people. They are two types of people. And you'll find both types of people inside Islam. I'm not talk calling them Jews or Christians. But I'm saying they follow similar models. Let me tell you what that means. The Christian people are very spiritual. They don't follow much in the way of laws. They have a lot of assumptions about how God works and how forgiveness works. They don't need to learn because they are already saved. They're already saved. That's, and they're just, so long as you're generally good, you should be fine. Does that sound familiar? Some element of the Muslim community? <laughs> don't know much, don't want to know much. We're Muslim, that's good enough. You see? And we're, we're fairly saved. And now we've added to that the shafa'ah of the Messenger ﷺ. Jesus will come and save us on Judgment Day. The Prophet ﷺ will come and save us on Judgment Day. Right? So you have this element within the Muslim community. On the other hand, the Jewish problem, the one that's criticized in the Qur'an, by the way, these are not the only two kinds of Muslims there are. 
Just like these are not the only two kinds of Jews and Christians there are. These are the Jews and Christians that have been criticized. So the criticism worthy Jews, the element of them, is that they're very knowledgeable religiously. Extremely knowledgeable. And they love disagreement. They feed off of it. They refute each other, research, and they finally, they, and they, they can basically make anything haram or halal uh, because they are they have the license to. And they, they stake claim that they are the only real followers of the religion. Everybody else is inferior to them. And they become exclusive gangs and mafias, you know, that own the own real Islam, or in their case, real Judaism, and everybody else is eh, what do they know? And religiously, like ritualistically, very practicing. Their rituals, they'll take their time and practice every single ritual from how they should dress, from how they should eat, and how they should pray, and what form they should pray in, and how long the prayer should be, and what should be recited, and what shouldn't be recited. And very technical, very, very like laid out, like in their, in their fiqh. Very extremely, that's, that's a, you know, a, a faction of the Jewish community. Yet those same exact people, when it comes to treating their neighbor, being honest in their business practices, being being truthful about taxes or anything else, you'll find, dude, you're like so religious and yet so messed up. How, how how do both of those things go in one person? Like I'm reminded of a big scandal. There was this um, in Brooklyn. There was these there were these Hasidic rabbis, really orthodox looking, like big bearded, like rabbis. And these these guys go to yeshiva schools. They study eight hours a day of, of religion. Like these are religious people and they were part of the biggest financial one of the biggest financial scams in New York and you got these people being hauled away by SWAT teams and stuff like you know with their with their dreidels and beards and you were just like how, how does that make any sense these are people of religion you know what happens to them the religion is about the rituals has nothing to do with morals for them morals have they have nothing to do with it so long as you're doing the rituals the morals are okay and the, on the flip side for the Christians what's the biggest thing the morals, but the rituals and the law means nothing. Who cares? I'm a good person. That's what matters. Do you find these elements in the Muslim community? Some Muslims very focused on the rituals. Very focused on the rituals. And yet, where is the compromise? The morals. And on the other hand, you find Muslims that say, at least I'm a moral person. I don't mistreat people. I don't cheat people. I don't do this or that or the other. So what if I don't pray five times? So what if I'm not going to Hajj? So, if, so what if I, yeah, I have a little... I have a, f- a few sips here and there. But it doesn't hurt anybody. You know? Why do I have to be so strict? Why do I have to follow all these rituals? Look at these people who follow the rituals, they're all messed up. So they go at each other. They go at each other. And the, the knowledgeable ones, the Jews, say to the Christians, what do you people know? What book do you read? What knowledge do you have? And they come around and say, and you guys are messed up even though you read a book. Does this argument happen within the Ummah? Within this, within Islam today? Yeah. These are archetypes. This is why in the Fatiha, Allah said, غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ وَلَلْضَالِينَ Didn't say غَيْرِ الْيَهُودِ وَلَلْنَصَارَى You know, the path of those who earned rage, you know, and those, you know, nor those who went, who were lost. Those are people who don't know the book at all, they're lost. And there are people who know the book and they're still messed up. You know, that's the two groups that have been highlighted here. وَهُمْ يَتْلُونَ الْكِتَابِ Allah says about both of these groups, كَذَلِكَ قَالَ الَّذِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ مِثْلَ قَوْلِهِمْ This is exactly the kind of thing those people who have no knowledge whatsoever of religion say exactly the same thing. In other words, Allah is saying, 
Jews and Christians, when they become like this, then what's the difference between them and the mushrikun of Makkah who don't know anything? They don't know Bible, they don't know Torah, they don't know Quran, they don't know anything. You're no different than them. This is a less, like, very sharp criticism of all of these groups together. Like, how are you any better? Because you know the Muslims thought when they come to Medina, they're gonna meet people that have uh, experience with the Bible. They know Torah, they know Injil, they're gonna have a, they're gonna, when they talk about, when the Muslims talk about Isa and Musa and Ibrahim, they're gonna say, yeah, 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 we believe in them too. They're gonna find common ground, it's gonna be easier for them to accept. And yet you find they're even worse. And now Allah is saying, how are you any better than what came before? أَفَتَطْمَعُونَ أَنْ يُؤْمِنُوا لَكُمْ Are you really thinking that they're just going to accept what you're saying just because they had background? No, it's not going to be like that. So what do we do with this mess? Then Allah says, now this is where they are with all of these disagreements. What should Allah say? What, what does Allah say? فَاللَّهُ يَحْكُمُ بَيْنَهُمْ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ Allah in fact, He will be the one to pass the verdict between them on the day of resurrection. Leave them to Allah. Let them do their disagreements. Don't get entangled in their disagreements. You will not judge what their disagreements are. Allah will. What is Allah teaching us? A timeless lesson about how to deal with groups and factions that go at each other. Brother, what do you say about this group? What do you say about that bunch? What do you say about this shaykh? What do you say about that you know, deviation? How, how are we going to refute those people? Um, let Allah judge them. No problem. Leave it alone. No, but they're spreading a lot of deviation. Were the Christians spreading deviation? Were, were they saying things that are outrageous to Allah? Were they, like, this, this, these are big misguidances that were being spread. What was Allah's response? فَاللَّهُ يَحْكُمُ بَيْنَهُمْ يَوْمِ الْقِيَامَةِ Allah, He Himself, will pass His verdict among them on the Day of Resurrection. You might not agree with this conclusion of mine, but I, I must share it with you. In my, this is based on what I used to believe in theory and then what I saw in practice. There are Muslims that do all kinds of crazy things. I don't have to list them. We do all kinds of crazy stuff. That has nothing to do with Islam. It's borderline, sometimes borderline, sometimes outright shit. Like it's bad. And we do it. And it's very prevalent in places like Southeast Asia, India, Pakistan, etc. We do some crazy, crazy things. It doesn't even look like Islam at this point. Like some things we do don't even look like Islam. People come up to me and say, Brother, a lot of people listen to you. Why don't you speak out against this practice and this practice and this practice? Why don't you tell people that this is wrong? This is shirk. They shouldn't do this. I say, yeah, I'm not gonna. Astaghfirullah. There's an evil happening and you're not speaking against it? I was like, yeah, no. You know why? You know what I say in response? I say, I'm just gonna try to just spread Quran. You know why? Because no matter how far a believer goes, no matter how far astray they go, Allah has put a love of two things in their heart. The word of Allah and the messenger of Allah. Wasallam. Naturally. Whether knowledgeable or not, there's some, there's some reverence for Qur'an. There's some reverence for the messenger of Allah. Wasallam. Some of you may have seen that silly video. There was a big problem in Bangladesh of public urination. Like there are people just... They just urinate on the street, on the, against the walls. It's a big problem. They didn't know how to solve it until somebody came up with an idea. Please don't urinate here. They, they said that in Bangla, they erased all of it, they wrote it in Arabic. <laughs> don't, don't urinate in, pub, you know, in public. 
the problem was solved. Nobody did it anymore. They don't know what it says. But what does it look like? Arabic? Arabic's gotta be... Arabic. Quran's in Arabic. <laughs> Huge public problem solved because it was written in Arabic. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's a silly example. You know why I'm bringing it up. There's a natural reverence and regard for what? The word of Allah. And what does the word of Allah do? What effect does it have? يَتْلُوا عَلَيْهِمْ آيَاتِهِ وَيُزَكِّيهِمْ If you give people exposure to the word of Allah, Allah's promise is that the word of Allah purifies people. That's Allah's promise. I don't have to go beat over their head what they're doing wrong. If they develop a love and an affinity and a connection with the word of Allah, then those practices will be removed from their hearts by the word of Allah. And it will stay that way. If I go after those practices and criticize them and yell and scream and debate, then when you, when you criticize someone, what do they do naturally in response? They defend themselves. They become argumentative and become more defensive. And then they become more adamant. And then those among them who preach this stuff become even more rigorous and more aggressive in preaching what they've been preaching. You're not talking about mushrikun here. You're not talking about kuffar here. You're talking about lost Muslims. That's what you're talking about. Lost Muslims don't need any criticism from you. They don't need your yelling and screaming. They don't need your refutations. You know what they need? They need the word of Allah. That's what they need. That's why Allah says here, they're reciting the, they're reading the book, they're reading the same exact book and they're lost. Then the only thing for them is judgment day. You know, and then, you know, كَذَلِكَ قَالَ الَّذِينَ لَا يَعْلَمُونَ مِثْلَكُمْ What was the point of the book? People who don't know anything are saying the same exact thing. Let Allah judge between them on resurrection day. فِيمَا كَانُوا فِيهِ يَخْتَلِفُونَ In all kinds of disagreements they've had among each other. This is not the only disagreement. There are all kinds of disagreements. You know, that, that, that uh, spur as a result. بَارَكَ اللَّهُ لِي وَلَكُمْ السَّلَامُ عَلَيْكُمْ وَرَحْمَةُ اللَّهِ وَرَكَاتُ Our mission is to spread awareness of the message and divine beauty of the Qur'an across the world. Support our mission at www.bayina.org. That's B-A-Y-Y-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G.